One version of the story of Easter says, after Jesus died, he was resurrected. Body, soul, in every way. He lived again in heaven and will never die. And by conquering death in this way, he conquered it for all of us, or at least all who believe in him. As the poet John Donne said to death, because of God's power and Jesus' courage, death, thou shalt die. And so generations of Christians have pursued immortality. Probably most of the folks here have a different version of the story of Easter in mind, one more like Dan suggested, that Jesus really died, just like every other human who has ever lived or will ever live. If it does happen that we are actually immortal in this version, it doesn't seem to be a result of Jesus's having been resurrected. And yet I think there is a great deal in our culture that pushes us to pursue immortality, even if we are not Christians, even if we don't believe that we ascend to heaven, even if we're pretty sure that we only live this one life. This pressure is subtle sometimes, but it works on us, and it can keep us from living as fully and joyfully as we might do. What does help us joy live joyfully is to take death seriously. I don't want to be a downer on this beautiful Easter morning, quite the opposite. As wise Christians say, to get to Easter, you have to go through Good Friday. To get to fuller life, you have to be aware of death. So please bear with me while I talk about less happy things for a little while. The brood 10 cicadas are beginning to emerge. For 17 years, they have hunkered underground, safely below the frost line. They have clung to the small roots of trees and sustained themselves on the sweetened water that runs through the roots. Occasionally, they have molted, shedding their outer layer to make room for growth. They have stayed put. Now, they emerge. This is their big moment. They tunnel up to the surface and find a tree or some other vertical surface. The birds are thrilled as thousands of cicadas crawl on the ground and fly through the air. They have themselves a grand feast. But plenty of the cicadas make it from the ground to the trees. They huddle there as they molt for the last time and their new exoskeleton dries. Then they look for a mate in that crowd. This is what a wildly successful emergence looks like for a brood 10 cicada. She or he tunnels to the surface, sheds, flies to a tree without becoming a bird's appetizer, sends out a signal, and is answered by another cicada. If our successful cicada, our Bill Gates, our Frida Kahlo, our Megan Rapinoe of cicada kind is male, he mates and dies. If she is female, she mates, lays her eggs, and dies. 
The ones who don't find a mate, they die too. Their lovely wings litter the ground, bringing a shimmering beauty to those who pass by. They have waited 17 years for this. After a couple of months, the eggs hatch. The larvae, or nymphs, drop to the ground. They crawl down to below the frost line. Each finds a slender tree root and grips it, and there they will be until 2038. If you are in a particularly Good Friday frame of mind when you learn about this cycle, you might well think, that's it? That's the whole story? You stay underground for 17 years, have a few weeks of a frenzied attempt to reproduce and die so that your offspring can do the same thing? What kind of life is that? And you might also think, are we any different? We emerge, we live for a little while, we die. And if we have reproduced, then our offspring do the same thing. Oh sure, our, life, our cycle is much longer than the cicadas. Ours lasts for maybe 80 or even 100 of the planet's trips around the sun while cicadas last only a little more than 17. And most insects' life cycles are much shorter than that. Somewhere in this universe, there must be a creature who lives for 10,000 of our years. And for that creature, we can imagine the cicadas and the humans evoking a response of, that's it? That's the whole story? They hatch, they breed, they die, repeat? When we have our Good Friday moments, the moments when we realize that we too have to die, we can respond in a couple of different ways. One is by denying it, insisting that, no, in fact, we live forever. Well, maybe we do, maybe we don't. We don't really know. We do know that we have invented entire religions to assert that immortality solemn rituals and glorious cathedrals, the intricacies of priesthoods and scriptures and sermons and music all saying, fear not, we live forever. Fortunately, they proclaim lots of wiser truths along the way, and there's that music and those vaulted ceilings. As 21st century U.S. Americans, we're also immersed in a different immortality story. Well, two really. There's the one of eat right and stay fit and you will not die, which none of us would actually claim with a straight face, but which nevertheless sneaks into health reporting frequently. Even the New Yorker, which is a scrupulously edited magazine, slipped up last week reporting a study found that subjects who interrupted their sitting every half hour reduced their chance of dying by 55%. Um, no. The subjects who sat for eight hours without a break 
had a 100% mortality rate. The subjects who interrupted their sitting every half hour also died at a rate of 100%, time permitting. But I'm thinking more of the secular religion of make your mark, leave a legacy, as if we will live forever if our name is on a patent or in the history books or in a family genealogy written five generations from now. Now, I want to say that leaving a legacy is an admirable impulse. It's just that it won't give us immortality. That wonderful invention of ours will disappear when the sun goes supernova. But it can do a great deal to remind us to imbue our lives with meaning. There's just one trick to resist the whispers that say, make your mark, any mark, and instead ask ourselves, what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? That's another response to realizing that we are mortal. Anyone with the resources that you and I have could probably make a monument to ourselves that would outlast us by thousands of years, maybe hundreds of thousands. All we need to produce is a good, solid chunk of plastic. Carve our names on it and voila, evidence that we lived. Waiting for the people of the year 102,021 to find it. But not much of a legacy. Some humans have left more beautiful legacies than that, but at such a terrible cost that the balance sheet on their lives is not good. That's what tends to happen when we become more concerned with making a mark, any mark, than making sure the mark is not a stain. Like Emperor Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of the Qin dynasty, in his years as king, then emperor, he had a huge impact. He united the seven warring states through brutal warfare. He enforced conformity with his doctrines by having books burned and their authors executed. He began the building of the Great Wall and the Grand Canal. The wall served a double purpose, defense and a labor camp for political prisoners, one of whom was his own son. Those sent to build the northernmost part of the wall as his son was mostly perished in the attempt. With an unbending insistence on control, he made his mark. His dynasty gave China its name. Not surprisingly, Wang Di also wanted to live forever and he intended to be as well-served in his heavenly life as he had been in his earthly one. So he conscripted thousands of artisans to make him soldiers, courtiers, concubines, cooks, everything an emperor would need out of clay. Ironically, he created a wondrous work that we still admire, the Terracotta Army. 
It didn't make him immortal, of course, nor are his terracotta soldiers immortal, but certainly he had an impact beyond his years. But alongside the beauty of the work he commissioned is the violence with which it was created, a violence that matched that of his reign. The artisans were probably slaves. And when Qin Shi Huang died suddenly, the sculptors were killed and entombed with their creations so that they could never reveal the location of the hidden mausoleum. That's one way of making one's mark. Here's another, appropriate to this day, April 4th. Martin Luther King Jr., who died on this day 53 years ago, knew in his own words that he might not get to the promised land. But as he said in his final speech, he knew his people would eventually get there. That was the legacy he wished to leave. Did I say he died? Well, yes, he did. He did. And even his memory will one day be gone. But what he did in his 39 years of life is still changing our world for the better. The author of Ecclesiastes advised, whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol the pit. And in the imaginings of the musical, Alexander Hamilton said, God help and forgive me, I want to build something that's going to outlive me. So do I, Mr. Secretary. So do many of us. But we don't want to work with all our might only to leave a chunk of plastic or a legacy of terror or death. So what are we building? What is it that our hands find to do? And in the end, what does longevity have to do with it? It may well be that during the 17 years that they suck on tree roots, the cicadas are having deep relationships. Maybe they are composing great works of art, perhaps symphonies of chemical signals that we can't decode, but that lift the spirits of other cicadas. As Susan Ertz reminds us, there's no point in yearning for immortality if we're bored on a rainy afternoon, but the flip side is also true. If we can find joy and meaning in the moments that we do have, then they were enough. What we have is this moment. Will you breathe with me in it just to feel it, this moment? And we have this one. Changing someone's life for the better matters because they matter right now. Making art or music or a graceful stream of words matters 
to those who appreciate their beauty right now. Time with children matters because they matter right now. Understanding something new matters because our minds matter right now. And if we were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, none of that would be lost. It would have happened. It would have mattered. This is a wonderful thing to remember because, friends, we are going to disappear tomorrow. Tomorrow is a very long time away, measured in cicada time. And it's only a breath away, measured in 10,000-year-old alien time. By our time, however many days or months or years it is, is too soon. Good Friday is coming. But the life and death of Jesus of Martin Luther King, of our kin, the cicadas, promise us, before Good Friday comes, we can have our Easter. We can have our Easter if we awake and arise and greet the dawn that is before us, within us, in this very breath. Amen.